0: This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! This is Rog, live from the Conrad Hotel in the heart of London town, with a post-Manchester Geddon pod special. Was this a night that was finally title-defining. Felt like that before kick-off, as if this Liverpool and Manchester City title race was coming to its conclusion. This magnificent joust which to watch. The only thing I've seen like it is that Isna Mahut tennis set at Wimbledon, where both men just kept holding serve endlessly. And I think the set ended something like 70-68. That's what we've been living these past two months. And it all felt, it's always felt like it was going to come down to this United against Manchester City clash. Not United from their pomp. This was, in case you have forgotten, a really <laughs> United squad that even Everton hung four goals on. I mean, it was like City were playing Biff Tannen the moment after he'd been punched in the face by George McFly. Not a single United player. The English papers marvelled. We're we'll getting to City starting 11. Bookies were giving six to one odds for a United win before kickoff. These are the kind of odds I've only seen in sports when, like Mike Tyson was at his best and was about to fight Pete McNeely. I mean, there was a pre-kickoff whiff of stop, stop. He's already dead about this game. Uh, it was mistaken. That was actually a whiff of Arsenal. But the big question ahead of this game, let me just have a bit of both. The big question ahead of this one was could United reassert a modicum of pride? Could their players summon something after the weekend of true darkness? And it was clear from the opening exchanges that they were up for this game. And thus the result of the 90 minutes would revolve around the second question that we're all asking about oh, they're Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's squad, are they any good? Are they good physically, tactically, skillfully? And the answer we'd find on the day was nope. I mean, there was a lot of scrap in the opening exchanges. It was like, who would win the tactical fouling? That was the big question in the first 30. City, uncharacteristically something. Was it nerves? I don't know what it was. They were uncalibrated in their passing. They were doing all the moves that normally lead automatically to City goals. That diagonal ball aimed at Cunaguero from the flank. The ping-back ball from the byline, Shuttle back deep into the box to no avail. And United, eager to counter in transition. Edison, when he was called upon so quick off his line. I do marvel at Edison. I mean, Van de the great United keeper, who played for United at their Sir Alex Ferguson peak, he used to say it was the hardest thing he'd ever done to keep goal for Manchester United because you knew that you'd only face one or two chances a game. But you had to retain focus. You had to retain concentration for the whole 90 minutes. And he'd sweat through his jersey just from the mental exertion. I think of him when I look at how Edison has played in these past eight weeks. But at halftime, it all felt like this was a big occasion, but it was so much smaller, so much smaller in terms of the quality of the spectacle. And to be honest, my big first-half takeaway was reminder to self. I wrote a little post-it, must put $100 on Everton to win league next season. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Second half, though, City came out determined to control the game, knowing that even if they were on their B game, that their passing, their control, their movement would start to exhaust United. Barcelona's opponents, I remember reading a bunch of interviews with them when Messi, Iniesta, Xavi were playing as a peak team together. Barcelona's opponents in La Liga would say the fatigue of chasing shadows used to just wear them down mentally as well as physically. And they would wilt. And that's what happened in this game. You kind of felt United buckle just before the goal came in the 54th minute. It was Bernardo, who I believe, what a fantastic footballer he's been in this second half of the season. I think he's lifted his game, not so much because he cares about winning the league, but because he's locked in a mortal combat, mano a mano, with David Silva, both ball David Silva and his brother, Herr David Silva, to prove that he, Bernardo is the best of the three silvers on that team, and he cut inside Luke Shaw, used Luke Shaw's ample girth as a shield to mask a precise shot, a mischievous shot, which he darted precisely into the corner. It was a goal of cute, brilliance, superlative confidence, huge, huge relief. It felt, you felt, when you looked at the Manchester City fans, like they'd all at the same time just had the biggest angry boil Lance And United credit them. They did fashion an immediate response. History may not remember that street fashion entrepreneur turned occasional footballer. Jay Ling's whiffed with a goal at his mercy. Oh, Jesse Lingard. I I like to think he did that on purpose. I think he proper hates Liverpool. He missed his chance. Leroy Sané did not. The world-class player slash substitute strolled in on goal and absolutely wolf blitzed the ball. Let the record show it went through. Not past David De Gea. It went through David De Gea, who tried to kick it like tried called quest. Poor Dave. That man is broken. And United, even poorer Ole, slumped in his seat. His reaction was heartbreaking. And I feel for him to have experienced that high after the initial burst with United. That PSG miracle night. To feel like everything in the universe is cosmically behind you. Only to have your joy turn to ashes in your mouth. It must feel like a profound, existential darkness for Ole. And I feel for him, because when I interviewed him, he was such a lovely bloke. But on key questions, I asked him, how did you tighten the backline? How did you do that? And the honest truth is, he didn't have much by the way of explanation. And when darkness sets in now on the field, what must hurt him most is that this United team lacks a single leader to step up, lead them forward. Martial seems filled with discontent. Dave, we've talked about, his mind is clearly elsewhere. Smalling Westromesque, And Paul Pogba, <laughs> oh my God, currently looks more looks more Real Salt Lake than Real Madrid. Last quarter of the game was an anticlimax for neutrals as the Old Trafford emptied out. But at the same time, an unbelievable wonder for City fans who just giddily serenaded Solskjaer with you getting sacked in the morning. I felt for Liverpool fans now who have to pick themselves up off the floor after devoting themselves for 24 hours to the, the, I'd say, peculiar joy of supporting Manchester United if uh, only one night only. It should be an eerily familiar experience, to be honest, because United have in many ways they've morphed into what Liverpool were in the early 2000s. And this is true, and it is probably incredibly hurtful and hard for United fans to listen to. But they are in danger of becoming a once-great club, desperate to reclaim their position as a powerhouse, throwing money irrationally around the transfer market, and always coming up short. I asked over Twitter for the Liverpool fans, what did it feel like to cheer for United, two of my favourite responses at David J Hyde tweeted, "It's like supporting Everton, I assume, Full of self-loathing and disappointment. <laughs> now, nah, mate, that's the old Everton. This Everton, we are destined for great things. We're destined for a oh, destination called overconfidence and doom." Our friend MLB pitcher <laughs> turned football club owner, hello Phoenix Brandon McCarthy, you went a little darker at B McCarthy 32 tweeted, supporting Manchester United as a Liverpool fan is like visiting a weathered prostitute. Nobody wants the other to be there. Both sides barely tried. Nobody came away satisfied. Full of guilt and misplaced anger now. Oh, Brandon. Sting would say, you don't have to put on a red light. Liverpool, they now have to play Huddersfield, Newcastle and Wolves, the giant killers, to play out the season with a little team called Barcelona sprinkled. A couple of times along the way. Hold your head up high. Don't be afraid of the dark, lad. City. Burnley. The trap game. Leicester. Brighton. Still to play. A three-game run. Surmised by at Tom Bogart. A GFOP with only one man could save Liverpool now. Dot, dot, dot. The Brodge. Yep. Ring this one now. Manchester City versus Leicester City. May the 6th. Oh, the Brodge is going to look into that mirror in his little changing room before the game, in his little tighty whiteies, and just tell himself there's only one man that can save the fraying of democracy now. And his name begins with B and ends in Rodge. Oh, Liverpool supporters. Could be worse. Could be an Arsenal fan. Another odd night in this Roller rollercoaster. First Unai Emery season. Wolves, three goals in nine horrific Gunner fan minutes. Yet again, Arsenal missed the chance to go fourth in the Premier League. Great 48 hours for Spurs fans, though. Your dream's intact. Intact, I say. Christian Eriksen, what a baller. As clutch as Damian Lillard from long range, out the buzzer, and a double thrill. Word emerging from Poch that the Dane is prepared to talk about extending his contract at Tottenham. Huge, if true. I'm heading to Spurs' new stadium tomorrow morning to check it out. I've got to say, I've got the tingling. I cannot wait. One last note, shout out to Callum Hudson-Odoi out for the rest of the season after rupturing his Achilles against Burnley. The physical agony he must have felt, the mental agony after the season of of frustration. May you channel it for good, Callum Hudson-Odoi. May you bounce back stronger than ever. Hopefully for his sake, under a manager who actually values him. I'm raising... My bud fam, blood fam, to you in the United States from London. This is Rog. We will be back podding on Monday. Until then, wishing you all health, happiness, love and courage.